A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome back to Say Why to Drugs. As you may know, I've been quite busy over the past year or two, really, as I had a baby last year. I'm just returning to my day job after maternity leave, and it's coincided with having a short run of podcasts ready to go as well. Coming up over the next month or so, we'll have episodes about spiking, which has been in the news a lot recently, a live podcast recorded at Latitude Festival earlier in the year, among other things. But I'm starting with this one, as next week is both Baby Week and Alcohol Awareness Week. So my colleague and friend Dr Abby Rose approached me about an episode around maternal drinking, which is obviously also very relevant to me personally as I've just become a new mum, well, a year ago. Uh, we're joined by a midwife as well, so I hope you enjoy our conversation and I also want to flag an event that's occurring on the morning of Thursday the 18th next week as part of Baby Week. Abby's organised an interactive online session for mums and mums-to-be to talk about these issues. There's an Eventbrite link in the podcast notes where you can sign up, it's free, and I'll also share it on Twitter as well. Whatever your thoughts are about alcohol, you're welcome to join and join in. There's no judgement, just information and your chance to suggest to researchers and healthcare professionals how information and research can be improved. That was a really long intro, so without further waffling from me, we say why to maternal drinking. So I've got two uh, experts that I'm joined by this week. So first off, can I ask you both to introduce yourself? We'll start with Abby. Hi, I'm Dr Abby Rose. I'm a senior lecturer in psychology at Liverpool John Moores University. Um, my background is experimental psychology, so I'm really interested in understanding why we drink, how we drink and how our drinking might increase the risk of various alcohol harms. I used to get people drunk in a lab to do that. And then I had two little munchkins of my own. And I'm now really interested in alcohol use during pregnancy and motherhood. And Lila. Hiya. Um, so I'm Lila Goodman. I'm a midwife. Um, and I'm also a mum to a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Perfect. So Abby, do you just want to say a little bit about why you thought this episode would be a good idea? Because I, I should take no credit for this idea. It's entirely Abby. <laughs> um, yeah. So as I said, I've, I've had two children of my own. And I've always been interested in alcohol use. And when I became a mum, I suddenly realised that mums talk a lot about alcohol and drinking and the need for drinking. I also noticed that my social media feed suddenly seemed to be swamped with very funny memes about the fact that I needed to drink to cope with my own children. 
<laughs> and I kind of knew some of the risks around drinking with obviously during pregnancy, um, but not so much around motherhood. And I think the research has always been focused around alcohol use during pregnancy because there are obvious risks. There's things like alcohol, fetal spectrum disorder, which you um, had a great podcast on. But when mums have the child, we tend to forget about their behaviour. It's largely ignored. Then that can be for lots and lots of different reasons. But actually, the as evidence does slowly grow, we know that drinking during motherhood can have quite a range of harms from quite mild to quite serious, uh, both to the mum's health and mental health and well-being, but also to the child and the and the larger family. So that's what I'm really interested in, kind of like starting to shine more of a spotlight on that area of drinking, not just when the woman is pregnant. And Lila, as a midwife, what's been your sort of experience of these, of this kind of issue of maternal drinking? So I think there's very little conversation about drinking after you've had a baby. Also with breastfeeding, sometimes mums are really unsure about how it would affect the baby if they have a drink. Um, But I think for me, the biggest thing when I had my own children was actually co-sleeping, drinking and breastfeeding. Because actually having a drink whilst you're breastfeeding isn't the main issue. But I found that I couldn't breastfeed without co-sleeping and actually co-sleeping when you've had a drink is just a big no-no so really like having those conversations with mum is so is so important that's really interesting that you mentioned co-sleeping because in, obviously I had a baby about a year ago in fact when this podcast comes out it'll be almost exactly a year ago oh. happy birthday <laughs> Elliot um but what that was the only time alcohol was really mentioned actually that so it was around breastfeeding yeah. in a workshop that I did before I gave birth which um I don't know whether it's specific to the Liverpool region, but there's a real push for breastfeeding, I think because rates are quite low in this area. And so they're really, really, like, it was mentioned about four or five times in this hour that it's absolutely fine to drink alcohol while you're breastfeeding. And I was sitting there thinking, is that actually true? Because some alcohol definitely gets through in the breast milk. I don't think it's particularly very much. And I guess that on they've weighed up the evidence and decided that it's better to encourage breastfeeding. And if, if the thought of not being able to drink at all is putting people off even trying, then it's better to say you can drink a bit. Obviously, it, they did say that if you're going to get plastered every night, yeah. then that's not a great idea. But it was very much like, it's fine to drink and, and breastfeed. You don't need to pump and dump. And... Because actually, I think the conversation needs to be about why people don't breastfeed, because they actually need to be able to co-sleep and that's a, I know it, that's kind of going off topic here. yeah no well, was, that's one of the biggest barriers I think when mums feel like they have to try and put this baby down who wants to constantly be on them which is you know totally normal and okay but actually then having those conversations and giving the women the information is really yeah that was that was the other yeah. only point that alcohol was really mentioned was around co-sleeping and how it's an absolute oh, that's no-no really so uh, that was something that from the like charities like the lullaby trust that kind of thing it was very clear that you shouldn't co-sleep with your baby if you had a drink at all i mean and for me similarly to what you were saying that meant certainly in the early weeks and months that alcohol was a complete no-no even if i'd wanted to which to be honest i was so tired all the time (laughs) that i thought it would be a terrible idea but yeah elliot was he he didn't want to sleep in the next to me crib or whatever he just wanted to sleep on a human or very 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 close to a human (laughs) so uh and specifically me yeah i was gonna say a human (laughs) (laughs) he would go to sleep on a dog but it was definitely more more 
he would pretty yeah. much want to be on me all the time. Yeah. So co-sleeping is a bit of a side issue to what we're talking about today, but you do you do worry about it because you hear about the increased risk and the increased risk is really, really heavily associated with yeah, having consumed absolutely. alcohol. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. And I but I agree with you that the inconsistent advice around breastfeeding alcohol is crazy because I, I had it as well. So I was a member of um, you know, like beer support groups and, and all sorts around breastfeeding. And the message was, and I think you're right, it's that kind of try push anything that will increase rates of breastfeeding. And the number of times I saw them say, as long as you remember you've got a baby, you're not that drunk that you've forgotten you have a child, you can you can drink alcohol. <laughs> wow. And I remember I used to sit there and go, oh, I don't think that's all right. <laughs> I don't think that's the... That's imp- quite a lot of I alcohol. don't think that's the message we should be giving. Um, but yeah, it, it was interesting. But there, there, was, there was a definite, um, yeah, the camps of, no, it's okay to drink if you're breastfeeding. So what do we actually know about sort of patterns of maternal drinking and like after a woman has given birth what like is is there much evidence in this group so this is one of the challenges uh in terms of research so there's a historical image of women a they don't drink that much um and certainly there is a a gender gap between alcohol use so men do drink more than women but that gender gap is decreasing a lot and that's driven by increased alcohol consumption in women it's not because men are drinking less it's because women are drinking more and then also there was this idea that if a woman became pregnant she would stop drinking alcohol and would never drink alcohol ever again kind of thing and that's not what happens strangely (laughs) enough so when women do become pregnant most women do stop drinking at least once they've found out that they're pregnant or they reduce their alcohol use a lot so that's great. Um, but we still need to uh, kind of focus on alcohol use during pregnancy because we do have one of the highest rates in the UK of, of alcohol-exposed pregnancy, which translates into one of the highest rates of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, unfortunately. But then when mums have had the baby, as I said before, there tends to be this where you just forget about what the mum is doing. Everything is about the baby. The baby's healthy, so everything's fine. And what we tend to see is that, yes, during those, that maybe that first year postpartum where everything is so chaotic and you may be co-sleeping and breastfeeding and just getting through every day as best you can while keeping this little bundle of joy alive. every night. Yes, (laughs) every night and every day and every night. And there is no night or day anymore because it's just one long, you know, being awake. Um, We tend to, we might not be drinking that much because, yeah, the thought of, having a hangover or something like that, it it really puts you off. And we're also very aware that we are, you know, responsible for this baby's life. So we have to be there for them. But as time progresses, we see that mums are more likely to start drinking again. Absolutely fine. That's what you would expect. But before it was kind of seen as, well, mums won't start drinking again because they don't go out anymore. So we drink alcohol when we go to pubs and restaurants and things like that. And that's just not the case anymore. So the majority, I think it's like two thirds of alcohol is not purchased in pubs and restaurants. It's purchased from shops. We can get an online delivery of a case of wine or, you know, a box of beer, however many pink gins you want, whatever. We can, we can have it in our house. And we know that if something is available in our house, whether it be alcohol or chocolate biscuits or whatever, we're going to consume it. And so if you have alcohol in your home, it's very easy for it to become 
a part of your daily routine. And I think that's where the shift comes. So maybe when the 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 really chaotic period is kind of like starting to ease off and you might start to get the, the baby to go to sleep in their own bed, in their own room. You know, you've got women who have been with their child all day, which is exhausting, kind of like, you know, entertaining them. You know, it's lovely, but it's also, it is really, really tiring and you can feel quite isolated. Or you might have a mum who has gone back to work, so they've got a full-time paid job and then they go home and then they're doing the oh, I've been at work all day, I've got to spend some quality time with my child, I've got to bathe it, get get the food ready, da-da-da-da-da, get them to sleep. And then, so you go through this whole day, which is quite full on, you never really get a moment to yourself, and then suddenly the child is asleep, and you go downstairs, and you let out this big sigh, and you suddenly think, now it's my time, um, I don't have to think about work, the child, you know, my child is safe asleep upstairs, um, I'm going to make myself something nice to eat. I'm going to sit down in front of the TV. And it's very easy as part of that routine is to pour yourself a drink. And I think that's where things have changed. So we've got to understand that the way in which we drink has changed and that has allowed maternal drinking, like drinking during motherhood, to become much more normalised um, and part of our routine. It's kind of It can act as a switch to say, now this is my time um, and to de-stress. And we've done several um, kind of studies, surveys and qualitative studies. So when we interview people kind of like either one-to-one or in small groups, and it's very common for mums to say, drinking is the thing that helps me de-stress at the end of the day. It's my quick fix. It's my reward to myself. I deserve this drink because I've been doing all this stuff all day, every day, and now it's my time. And I think the other important thing is with when we talk about maternal drinking is when we talk about harm. So, you know, if, if alcohol didn't lead to any harm, there would be no problem. We wouldn't need to be having these conversations. Um, but alcohol does increase our risk of lots of different harms, whether that be physical health, mental health, our well-being. Um, and... Over years and years and years, we have this idea in our head about what is harmful drinking. And when we think about harmful drinking, we tend to think about binge drinking. We tend to picture often men, not women. We tend to picture people who, as soon as they wake up, they're thinking about drinking. They're drinking early in the morning. They're drinking much more than they intended to. They're drinking to the point where they can't remember getting home. They're blacking out and things like that. And when we think about harm, we tend to think about very obvious severe harm again, things like alcohol-related liver disease, um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. But actually, when you look at drinking behaviour and when you look at alcohol harm, there is a whole spectrum. So it does have that severe end, but it has moderate and milder sides to it as well. And so when we're picturing ourselves drinking as mums, if we're drinking kind of like a glass of wine in the evening, something like that, we're not getting drunk. We're not having um, an obvious hangover the next day. We're still, you know, getting on with everything. We're still doing, we're still fulfilling all our roles. So we don't recognise our drinking as problematic in any way. But actually, once you start to talk to mums about it, because they always, whenever we, we talk to them at the start, it's like, oh, I don't have a drinking problem. I don't drink much. Um, I certainly don't drink as much as I did before I was pregnant. And then we get them to start talking about the role that alcohol had in their lives. So prior to pregnancy, it's often, 
oh, I drink to socialise. I was going out, getting drunk with friends at the weekend. Um, and yeah, sometimes I would drink too much and I couldn't remember getting home or I'd fall over, something like that. And they say, but now I'm a mum. I don't drink like that anymore. I hardly go out. Um, I'll ha- I, But I will have um, a glass of wine or a bottle of beer or something um, or I'll pour myself... Um, it's often a gin and tonic <laughs> I don't know why I hate gin but yeah they often say I'll have a I'll have a gin and tonic you know in the evening and once you actually start to talk about women um about their drinking say well how often do you do that and I say oh well only a couple of times a week and you say okay so when was the last time you said oh last night okay so can you think of the last night where you didn't have any um alcohol and they suddenly find it quite difficult to remember they say oh actually I do do it most evenings but again I'm not getting drunk, so it's okay. But actually, when you were to top that amount of alcohol up over the week in terms of alcohol units, which is what we measure alcohol consumption in, they are drinking, at least within hazardous drinking levels, they have gone over that um, that lower risk guideline of up to 14 units a week. Um, and they just don't realise it. And that is completely understandable. We shouldn't be shaming women we shouldn't be looking down our noses at women for doing this because it is so easily done and it fits with the narrative that is sold around motherhood these days. You cannot go online and see anything that isn't saying that all mums are drinking um, and all mums are drinking in order to, to relieve stress. That's what it is. And there's there's on the flip side of that, there's also this narrative around you're a mum, you know, good motherhood is, all your time is spent on your child. The Your only concern is your child, not you, it's your child. And so occasionally you're allowed to break away from that. And the way you break away from that and to retain some of your old identity is to drink alcohol. It's like doing something grown up, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And all the things that you were sort of talking about, it's completely sort of understandable that women do feel like they, they need a treat <laughs> after a really, really hard day. And I mean, I've certainly, like, particularly the nights when it's a struggle to get him to go to sleep. But when you do eventually get to come back downstairs and sit down on the sofa, you for me, it's been chocolate. I just, like, immediately want to eat all the chocolate I can. Mm. And to be honest, it probably would be alcohol if I wasn't worried about him waking up four times in the yeah. night and me being and even more exhausted. For me, that's the difference, that now mine are older. Like, and they do sleep through. You could have pretty much been <laughs> describing my drinking yeah. habits there. Like, most nights I will have a small glass of wine. And, and that I- is a lot more than I used to because it used to just be the pub or going for a meal. Or- yeah. And as I said, we, we shouldn't, we absolutely should never blame women. Um, and I get really fed up when, um, and I, I completely understand it, when we talk to women and they say, I just feel like ever since I got pregnant, I'm not my own person. Yeah, other you're people. Yeah, told what to do, what not to do, yeah. what not to eat, and yeah, what, yeah. yeah. exactly. It's, they they feel as if they're other people's property, and I talk to a lot of women. They say I'm just so fed up with my doctor or health visitor or somebody telling me how to behave. You know, I'm a grown woman. I'm I can make my own decisions and my own choices, and I think that's something that's really important. And there are lots of barriers around why mums underreport their drinking and this is another reason why I think there hasn't been as much research because we've got this historical thing of well women don't drink because they don't have the opportunity to drink but also there are an awful lot of barriers for women especially mums to report how much alcohol use they 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 have 
it's fear because they're what they're worried about the consequences so will social services get involved there's the stigma they don't want to be looked down upon they're desperate to be seen as a good mum to their family their friends healthcare professionals everyone um so there there are lots of reasons around that but also they're just fed up that it's almost like well I don't want to tell them how much I drink because I know that's going to then you know I'm going to feel like I'm being told off or something and told how to behave but then every single time whenever we do these interviews and these focus groups and things there's always a bit afterwards where we explain why the ev- the, the recommendations are what they are what the evidence is because again a lot of the women say well one of the reasons why they they continue to drink is they said well the evidence is so mixed you know you know that i've got this person telling me i can drink whatever i want i've got this person telling me that alcohol is bad for me i've got this person telling me you know all these different things and then when we sit down and just take you know it's 5 10 minutes where we just clearly go through each piece of evidence and why this is you know this is the recommendation why this is the recommendation nine times out of 10 i would say they go oh well why wasn't i told that mm-hmm. And if I'd been told that, then that makes sense. And I would have, you know, made my own decisions around it. So that's something I think that we need to be changing. And Naila, what's been your experience of sort of talking with mothers or mothers-to-be about alcohol use? As a midwife, do you have... Is that part of what your role is or not really? It is, it is. So at the booking appointment, which is their first appointment when they come to us when they're pregnant, we do a whole, like, history taking and we ask about alcohol consumption pre-knowing they're pregnant and then what they... Are drinking now that they know they're pregnant and to be honest all the time it's not drinking and then often a partner might chip in but one small glass of wine is okay you know and I try and explain actually you know fetal alcohol syndrome is on a spectrum and you know we don't know what's the safe limit at what stage and how it affects the baby so no we would really advise that you don't drink anything um, and it's like you said it's about explaining that but these are really short appointments given the amount that we need to cover so it's a really brief conversation and in terms of talking to mums once they've had the baby apart from the co-sleeping thing that I I have only really brought into my practice as a mum who went through that you know the guidance really is to try not to co-sleep but everybody does (laughs) everybody does if you exclusively breastfeed and I feel like it's really important that we share the information from the lullaby trust that you said about not drinking and how to safely co-sleep but other than that we don't have a conversation about drinking alcohol with a baby and I think that's probably where the six-week check yeah would come into play more but like Abby was saying you know when we discussed this before it's a bit hit and miss how that six-week check is so the six-week check is um when the woman and her baby both go usually together to the to a GP and it's partly to check over the baby and do sort of hip checks and yeah. all that kind of thing. Um, and But also it's supposed to be uh, for the mum as well and in particular around um, mental health and any sort of physical recovery from the birth yeah. itself. Speaking to other mums, obviously I went through this fairly recently and... Yes, it was right in the middle of uh, a global pandemic, which means that GP appointments and everything were uh, challenging for everybody. But uh, it was really varied speaking to other mums that I know about whether and what happened in this meeting. So my personal experience was actually great. And I had a great chat with the GP and she um, asked me lots of questions about me and sort of made sure that it was about me as well but I did specifically ask when I booked the appointment that 
I wanted one for the baby and one for me. But speaking to other people, some people didn't get either. Some people got um, very cursory. Some people had it over the phone. You know, it's completely varied. And I guess maybe that's at different stages during the pandemic as well. But it does seem like more broadly than just during covid these things can be quite varied and quite often it's done at the same time as the jabs so the first lot of um, injections for the baby which can be quite traumatic so (laughs) asking about mental health just after you've seen your baby lose it having been injected is also probably not a great time for for those kind of conversations as well also I think it's really quite early on to be talking Mm -hmm. about yeah you're you're still very much in the yeah yeah and I, to be honest, I don't remember alcohol being mentioned in mine. It was a mental health very yeah, much so. Yeah. Yes. Are you coping? Not really. Sorry to hear that kind of thing. <laughs> I think if I'd, if I'd wanted help, I could have got it at that point. I didn't think I needed it, but I was really struggling. And I was sort of saying, I think I'm coping, but I haven't seen anyone other than midwives since my baby was born. And that's really weird. Yeah. yeah. I think as well, so... We've known that maternal mental health problems, like postnatal depression, postnatal post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and all, all those sorts of psychological distress seems to be getting worse. That has got worse again during COVID, but there was an increase happening anyway. And so you talk about the maternal health check. So this was actually a new policy. It was on the cards for a while. Um, but then in April 2020, so not ideal in terms of <laughs> bringing a new piece of policy in, um, was that there would be a specific maternal health check. So it was recognised that often when you're going to your GP or GP kind of like um, health team, so it could be a um, you know a practice nurse, that it tended to be about the baby. Is the baby okay? Checking everything is all right. And, you know, understandable, yes. But again... The mother almost like fades into the background. Yeah, Yeah. during pregnancy you get prodded and poked. And then once the baby's born, it's like, oh, look at this thing. See ya. Yeah, exactly. It is. And this was kind of recognised. And because we were seeing this increase in maternal mental health problems, there was this argument, no, we need something specific for the mums. Um, And so there is supposed to be a six to eight week check, which is just about the mum. The baby is, is, you know, shouldn't be mentioned. This is all about how are you? How was the birth? How are you adjusting? How are you feeling? How are you coping? You know, what's it going? And it's supposed to be whoever is, um, yeah, taking the appointment. So whether it's the GP or the practice nurse or something, is really supposed to talk and let the mum talk and to listen and to see what is going on and whether any help is needed. Um, but you're right to talk about alcohol at that point. It might be too quick. But the reason why it's it's perhaps important to get it on the mum's radar is that we know. If you are suffering from mental health problems, you are more at risk of starting to drink alcohol and you are more at risk of drinking some more and some more. And you're doing it to cope with the symptoms of mental health problems. And again, what we find, which is really interesting, it goes back to my earlier kind of interest in alcohol and why I got interested in terms of my research, which is why do we drink the way we drink? So what is driving our drinking behaviour? So I'm really interested in our motives for drinking. And again, when we talk to mums, the motives for drinking prior to being pregnant is more about social, going out with friends, having a good time. So they're what we call positive reinforcement. You're drinking for the pleasure of it. During pregnancy, that kind of social reason is still there. So for example, I wanted to have a drink um, at a wedding because I wanted to feel part of that wedding and to enjoy it as I would normally. Um, But they're like creeping in, like the, the stress of, being pregnant I've, I've had a drink to calm down and then in 
motherhood, when we talk once the baby is born, 90% of the time, a really, really strong motive is I'm drinking to unwind, I'm drinking to cope. I, you know, it, it fulfills that narrative, that online narrative that I'm talking about, all those memes about kind of like, you know, you can't get through a day without drinking. But mums are talking about, yeah, it just, it's my way of calming down. It's my way of de-stressing. It's a quick way to just decompress at the end of the day. So we are seeing this shift in more kind of like coping-based motives. And that can be coping for the daily stress of just, you know, being a mum, a busy mum, or it might be coping for more serious, you know, mental health conditions. And the other thing is, even if you um, have symptoms of mental health problems that wouldn't actually reach a kind of a diagnostic threshold for something like postnatal depression or PTSD following a, a like a traumatic birth, you are more you you may still be more likely to drink in order to cope with those symptoms. The only thing I would say, again, that's very interesting is, and we see this across the board with mental health problems, is that if you are suffering from a mental health um, issue, you are either more likely to drink in order to cope or you are more likely to stop drinking. So it goes one of two ways. Um, We see this kind of split. And something that I'm really interested in understanding is, well, what makes that decision? What influences that? What makes the person either not drink or what makes them turn to alcohol in order to cope with those those symptoms and those kind of negative um, feelings and I suspect partly some of that is to do with knowledge and evidence because I know so from my perspective as well another reason why I got really interested in this because I had an awful um, second birth where I was diagnosed with um, postnatal PTSD um, and when I eventually went back to work after about a year and I had I had to had treatment and things, and I remember being in that um, that situation where I was having lots of very very nasty um, intrusive thoughts, and um, just yeah the the kind of just couldn't get them out of my head. They would play on a film reel, and they were really awful, and you couldn't sleep because they were they they're going around in your head constantly. You're very very anxious you're hypervigilant so you might often you know be snapping at your kids because you're so worried that they're going to get hurt and I know even with my background and the fact that I didn't drink during pregnancy because I know all the evidence I thought I drink would help and immediately when that happened I was like no way you know kind of like cut it down and 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 do it but that's because I knew the evidence and I was still at risk of kind of doing it and drinking so when I went back to work I became really interested in that link between postnatal PTSD um, and drinking risk because we know from other populations which are um, you, you often think about with PTSD, for example, military populations, there's a lot of research around alcohol risk. And for mums, it's just not there. And so I spoke to kind of like quite leading um, figures who are experts in the field of postnatal PTSD and maternal mental health. And I was like, am I just missing the evidence? Where, you know, where is it? And they said, oh, I don't know of any. I don't know of any. And it kind of echoes back that idea that once you're a mum, your health, your behaviour kind of really takes a back seat. Um, and I spoke to some people who said, well, I don't think that's, I've never come across that as a problem. But I was like, well, have you asked the mums how they're drinking? Have you asked them what do they do? Have, and have you given them time to open up and trust you 
and you can talk to them in a way that actually gets them to think a bit more about their drinking behaviour. And there, and again, no, you know, no disrespect um, to them, no blame to them. But it was often, well, no, we talk about other things. So th- there's a possibility that this might be something that's happening. Um, and we, yeah, we we don't have the research in that. So that's something else that I I think we need to look at a bit more carefully. The one thing we haven't really talked about is there's potentially. I know you said that there's a lot of evidence that just suggests a lot of the reason for mum's drinking is to cope but there is also the kind of the society that we are in is very it's like socially alcohol plays a huge huge part in in our social lives and our social ability and new motherhood is such a time of new like everything is new you've got this new baby to look after but also you've suddenly got to you've got to really make a whole new group of friends because you need your crew who are going through the same thing as you. You need that support. It's hugely, hugely important. I found it, frankly, essential to, to yeah. meet other mums who are experiencing the same things as me. And and the way that I became friends... I hope they won't mind me saying this on here, but the way I became <laughs> friends with my little group is that we went to a baby class and then we went to a pub garden afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> this was back when very few things were open. And like the, what, the, that's how we sort of became friends and... Um, so not necessarily drinking alcohol but being in an alcohol environment Mm. and some people were drinking some people weren't drinking it kind of didn't matter whether you were or not but it was being in that environment sort of cemented our friendship so while we we know the harms of alcohol at the moment the way that our society is is that alcohol is part of the social glue in our in our society yeah I completely agree and this and this is another reason so I've yeah I'm this weird mix of professional academic understanding but also the lived experience of being a mum and exactly you you get to this point where you suddenly you have this baby and you go to these weird classes (laughs) that you would never go to normally and you're thrown in with this group of uh you know of other it is you know the vast majority it's it's women um and you're thinking i need to make friends and it's how complete, do I do that? Complete shift of identity, yeah, isn't it? It is. And you bond over drinking. So this was another and, and I used to watch the and I used to be part of these conversations and I used to observe like they're all after you know, after you know, five or ten minutes of chatting, it would get to a point in the conversation where it was like, Oh, you know, oh I'm looking forward to a drink. It was that kind of and I remember thinking, is this really happening? Is this behaviour really happening? Are these women genuinely going home and drinking? Or are they using alcohol as a way to bond, as a kind of like, yeah. as a, like a shortcut? And I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. I mean, I, I say a bit of both because I, I then started going to, um, <laughs> as time progressed slightly, and, and you suddenly started going to, you know, one-year-old birthday parties where they, they will remember nothing and it's just chaos. That there would, there would uh, almost always, there would be a few mums there who brought alcohol. In, in bottles and things, whether it be in a park or somebody else's house, um, and drinking in the middle of the day. And I think most, you know, the, these people, if it wasn't for them having babies and being in these parties, they wouldn't be drinking Prosecco yeah. at 11 in the morning, usually, <laughs> on a Saturday. And, that you know, they were all kind of like, you know, that, oh, you know, let's have a drink. And, oh, don't you need, you know, it, it was there. So it was happening. But I completely agree that, and I'm not... Um, and when I'm interested in this research and things, I'm certainly not going down the route of mum should never drink alcohol. 
that's not what I'm saying at all. Because um, I think alcohol can have its benefits. Um, and that's, you know, with every health behaviour, everything has benefits and risks. And it's about knowing the information and understanding that information within the context of your own drinking behaviour and your own life to make the decision of, well, where do the risks and benefits outweigh each other? Like you were saying, um, at the moment, all you want to do is eat chocolate. There are benefits to that, I know. Because <laughs> there are I also risks. <laughs> I've been telling you about those. Exactly. <laughs> there are risks. So, and after a while, you weigh them up, and then you, you might, you know, you might only let yourself have several cubes of chocolate rather than the entire <laughs> yeah. I think a lot but, as well is about like opportunity to have the conversations, but also knowing what's around. So, when I had, when I was pregnant with my first, I just moved to Liverpool, so I didn't know anyone. So I made a real effort that that was how I was going to kind of build up my social life as well. So I attended loads of pregnancy classes, and actually in Liverpool, we're really lucky. There are loads mm. of like pregnancy fitness classes, postnatal fitness classes, and but nobody sits down and tells you that. Like you have to really go digging. And as a midwife now, I try and say, "Oh, have you heard about this? Have you heard about that?" But it's not like there's no kind of one package of information of how to go about kind of accessing different ways to socialize and reinvent yourself as a pregnant person and a mum and all the rest of it so yeah you know having the conversation particularly as a midwife and like health visitors at the GP check about what other things are out there for women to make their own decisions you know some of it will be making the decision to go and have a drink with other mums and you're right you do need that sometimes (laughs) but some of it might be like doing postnatal pilates or something like that you know physically trying to put yourself together after a birth that kind of thing so i think that's such a good point and i think we should try and wrap this up but end yeah. on, on a sort of positive note because all of us have a sort of professional reason to be interested in this topic but also a personal reason because we are we have all gone through pregnancy and motherhood at various different stages um and so thinking about alcohol is kind of relevant to us all and i think I'm right in saying that all of us either do drink or have drunk in the past. So it's not like we're sitting here saying, oh, you should do this and you shouldn't do that, mm. because we're talking about our own experiences as well. Um, but from that kind of professional standpoint, what should we as researchers or we as healthcare professionals be doing to kind of help with this idea of like, informing and empowering women to know the evidence and be able to make their own choices about these things? I think in terms of research, there is some brilliant um, what we call qualitative research. So is that this is like interviews and focus groups where you're really talking to people for, you're having conversations with them. And then you're kind of like, so you're understanding for that person in detail why they drink and, and how they drink and things like that. And I think that kind of research is very important because it gives this kind of depth of understanding and it places alcohol within the context of different mums' lives and how um, you know various issues might influence drinking or not drinking. Um, but the quantitative data, so like the you know the numbers, the stats, and the, 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 stats, stats. Yeah, the, the, the beautiful stats, <laughs> um, we tend to pick those where we can. So there are existing what we call cohorts data, so that you know they might be following babies from birth and things like that, and there might be some information about the mums in there, but it's secondary information. So the level of detail of the data isn't great. Um, we might not be able to ask the specific questions that we really want to ask. 
again when people are filling in those data sheets they know that the you know that the research is actually about the child so they're much more focused about that they might not pay enough attention when they're filling in information about themselves and things so we really need to invest in much better longitudinal data collection so we are following women up from prior or very early to pregnancy up and really focusing on the woman women's health is important in and of its own right and we need research focused on that it's not just about the baby but having said that the the other thing is to like get people more interested in this in terms of maternal drinking we mentioned that you know about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder during pregnancy maternal drinking specifically is involved with a whole host of risks for you know for the for the mum in terms of physical health you know increased risk of breast cancer and all those sorts of things mental health problems but also the child so maternal drinking as maternal drinking increases the child's risk of um things like uh, sudden infant death syndrome so we talked about co-sleeping yeah. um uh, medicinal poisoning ending up in hospital bone fracture mental health problems and physical health problems as they go older also children then developing you know alcohol problems as they get older again all these things the bond between um, mums and their children can all be affected and that isn't just when mums are drinking at a level of alcohol use disorder you know so we need to be aware of that we need to be putting more research into that and understanding why women drink how they drink and then also working absolutely with women saying how do you want this research to take place what questions should we be asking you what do you want to know and then when we have that information how do you want to be told this information how do you want to be given this information i don't want to tell women don't drink you've got to behave like this i want to tell women okay drinking is completely normal I'm not saying you shouldn't drink but you need to be aware and informed so you can make empowered decisions about your own behavior and that's what we need to be doing and we need to be working with midwives, with GPs, with other healthcare professionals, with third sector like charities who work with the women and say, okay, how can we contact these women? How can we approach them? How can we engage with women so they are happy and they feel that we are on their side and we are not stigmatising them anymore for their behaviour? And I think one of the things that quite often gets missed out in this kind of sort of alcohol education, if you like, is that it's not just about the quantity, but it's about the behaviour. So mm. we've talked a lot all the way through this about things like drinking to cope and helping women to identify, like you did yourself, Abby, and I did myself when I had a miscarriage, when you start to notice your relationship with alcohol changing, mm. empowering you to make a change, where if, you're, if your relationship with alcohol is as you want it to be, no problem at all. Yeah, yeah. But if you're if you notice your relationship slipping and that you're starting to use alcohol as a crutch, or you're finding yourself um, opening a bottle of wine every day, or or just having a larger glass each day mm -hmm. and it's it's spiralling like that, that you can spot that in yourself and take action. Rather, so as you say, there's sort of two ways people go if they are struggling with their mental health and their relationship with alcohol. It's either stop or massively increase. Yeah. And so helping people to steer them towards the less harmful path. Um, Lila, I think you've kind of already said a little bit about potentially what healthcare professionals can do, but no. Yeah. So I think mostly it will be about engaging in the conversation in the first place and, you know, trying to give information, which is quite hard to do 
when you're really time restricted. Um, but I, I guess health visitors are probably going to be best place in the long term with mums. And like you said, there, there needs to be a focus on maternal health and not just the baby and, you know, the child development and all the rest of it, actually looking at women and their health. Well, that seems like a great place to wrap it up. Um, Abby and Lila, thank you so much for your time and thank you everyone for listening. And there we are. I just want to flag again in the podcast notes, there's a link to Abby's workshop. So she's running an online session from 10 until 11.30 on the 18th of November. She'll talk in more detail about what we know and what we don't know about drinking during pregnancy and motherhood. And she'll also be talking about her research plans in the area. What she's really interested in is getting women involved in this work, hearing about what women think are the important issues and questions in this area, and what they'd like to see being done in terms of research, and what they think um, women need in terms of information and support. She also really wants to hear from groups who work with women, especially pregnant women and mums, to make sure that any research in this area is the most useful it can be, and any resources can be made available where needed. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening all the way to the end and uh, see you next time. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 